You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Today we conclude this wonderful book called Colossians. What a fantastic journey it's been for those of you that have been with us. You will remember the entire reason we have this book is for one reason. False teaching. False teaching was starting to infiltrate the church at Colossae. And throughout the letter, we've seen how the Apostle Paul has sought to identify that which is true versus that which is false. And we've shown you this little, I guess, logo we've used over and over again. See how the word true is identified because it's red. And you can see it. You can see the difference between what is true and what is false. And I'll remind us, church, that there is always going to be a fight for the truth. Everything is not true. There will always be a fight for the truth in each generation. You know, Satan will always seek to pervert, to manipulate, to massage the truth. And when we water it down, church, it loses its power. It loses its power. And this is the reason we have the book of Colossians. And so we come to the end of this amazing letter. Now let me go ahead and tell you, next week we begin a new series. And let me give you a little hint about what it's going to be about. It's going to be titled, A Life Worth Living. It's a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to see through the eyes of the Corinthian believers what a life worth living looks like. And next week we're going to talk about grace. I hope that you'll be with us and invite others. I, again, it's still going to be online, but uh, um, invite people. This morning, though, we return to the Apostle Paul's group photo. That's how we started describing this last part of Colossians chapter 4. Most preachers skip over verses 10 through 18. They never touch it. But we've chosen, because it is God's Word, it's divinely inspired, that we're going to cover it. And we, we saw that the Apostle Paul has this listing of names. Remember from last week I talked about the fact I have a little group photo that I have been using to kind of get this in your mind. This is a, a little group photo of some guys that uh, uh, we worked hard in Mexico last summer and we were a great team. We worked side by side laying block and building a stick built roof for a home in Mexico. And that was our little group photo at the U.S.-Mexican border. And, and so if you will, see the Apostle Paul as having a group photo here. Now I want to ask you a question before we get going this morning. If you were to take a group photo, listen now, listen, stop moving around. I want you to listen to this. If you were to take a group photo of the 10 closest people in your life, the 10 people that you spend the most time with, who would be in your group photo? Family? Hope so. How about outside of your family? 
Who do you spend the most time with? The Apostle Paul gives a group photo here, and he lists people who are, in essence, primarily Christians, save one guy who we'll talk about him in a moment, a little bit. His name is Demas. But here's what I want to say to us. There, there are so many Christians who allow their lives to be pulled down because the people that, that they're really, really close to in some instances are lost people. Now hear me clearly so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If someone is in your group photo and they're lost, somebody that you're really, really close to and you spend a lot of time with, are you drawing them to Christ or are they drawing you away from Christ? And if this somebody has been in your group photo for longer than, let's say, six months to a year, what are you doing? Do you ever share the gospel with that person? It is amazing to me how many Christians have people that they're really, really close to in their lives who are a lost person and they never share the gospel with them. What is your deal? That's why only one and a half percent of Christians have ever led anybody to Christ. Vance Havner said years ago, most Christians are, are like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth. Talk! Talk to people. Now during this season of time with this virus, talk to people about what's important. If you've got lost people who you're very, very close to and you're spending a lot of time with, share the gospel. Come on. This is what we talked about three weeks ago, and I still wonder how many Christians really talk about the gospel now more than ever, I pray that we would. And, and hear what I'm saying, church. It's not to say that we can't have lost people in our lives. We have to. We've got to go and make disciples of all nations. But the people whom you're the closest to ought to be people, as is the Apostle Paul's group photo, are people that you are going to build you up in Christ. And if someone is lost in your life, you need to bring them to Christ. You do. You're to go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't just rely on me and the, and the really spiritual Christians. What is that? Here people, well, they're just more spiritual than I am. Why? Why? Can you tell I got a burr under my saddle? I do. Because God has placed the entire world at a standstill. Something like this may never happen again. They will write about this season of time in the annals of history forever. And so what are we going to do with it? Hmm? Belly ache and complain about how we're all going stir crazy? I get it. But do something with this time. Do something for the gospel. Identify those people in your life who do not know Jesus and contact them. Send them a letter. Send them an email. Send them a text. I know we've got all this social distancing, but we've got technology. That's how you're seeing us this morning. Paul's photo included soldiers and workers for the kingdom. Who's in your photo? We saw two of Paul's soldiers last week. We saw Tychicus 
and Onesimus. And we get eight more today. And you go, eight more? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, you know me. You know, you, you think like, what is this going to be, an hour and a half long? No, we'll get it done, but we'll move quickly. All right, you made your way there. Colossians chapter 4. Pick up with me in verse number 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Stop there for just a moment. What does it mean, the, the ones of the circumcision? These are Jews. These are men who are Jews, who had given their life to Christ, but initially were Jews. The rest of the people he He's going to list. These are, these are Gentiles. These are non-Jews. Watch this now. And he says, they've been a comfort for me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, that means that he's from Colossae, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, church, do we have a letter from Laodicea? Mm -mm. See, that church ended up dying because it was what? Lukewarm. Jesus spit that church out of his mouth. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting. He signed the letter with my own hand. Remember my chains. Why? Because he's under house arrest in Rome. Grace be with you. Sharing burdens. That's what we're talking about today. And as we look at this last section in Colossians 4 this morning, I want to show you an acrostic that we're going to be using as our roadmap to guide us through the message today. And I want you to see it by way of the word fruitful. Fruitful. See that? Fruitful. Jesus was always concerned about his followers doing what? Bearing fruit. Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruit they bear. Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Are you? Are you fruitful? You say, I'm, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. You know the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, this is the fruit of the Spirit we're to bear. Take a look at this picture. Now, now you'll notice that picture. It almost looks like a pear. But people often talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's one fruit, and you get nine different flavors. Think of it that way. What is the fruit of the Spirit? See it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want you to look at the acrostic we're going to use today. We're going to begin with our first guy. Aristarchus. He is the F for faithful. The F for faithful. Colossians 4 verse 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now the question pops up as we read that verse, 
was this man with Paul during his imprisonment in Rome? He says, my fellow prisoner. Well, initially he wasn't with Paul in Rome, but he was in Ephesus. I want to show you a map that we showed you last week, and I want you to see Rome, top left-hand corner. See it? That's Rome, Italy. And I want you to see Ephesus is right there in the middle underneath the words Asia Minor. They're 1,300 miles apart. Aristarchus was in Ephesus when Paul was there. Paul spent the longest time in Ephesus of any city that he ever went to and established a church. He spent three years there. You want to know why? Because Ephesus was the mother church. It became the mother church of all of the churches of Asia Minor. As Ephesus went, so did the rest of the churches. Now, this issue in Ephesus is something we talked briefly about last week. You may remember how many were coming to Christ while Paul was in Ephesus, and this was shutting down the idol-selling business. And those business leaders, well, they were upset, so they bought off the magistrates, the police, and literally created a riot so as to get the Apostle Paul run out of town. Guess who was with Paul? You guessed it, Aristarchus. I want you to see Acts 19, 29. See it? So the city was filled, this is Ephesus with confusion. This is when the business leaders, they caused this riot. And they rushed together into the theater. That's where people typically would go. And they were dragging with them Gaius, and there he is, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Aristarchus started out with the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, and eventually the Apostle Paul would end up in Jerusalem, and guess who was with him there also? Aristarchus. Paul would be taken from Jerusalem, and he would be arrested, and he would be carried to the city called Caesarea by the sea. Now, I told you about this city last week. Remember the theater? I was actually there in November of 2018, and again, I, I'll remind some of you that might be interested, I'm going back because we will travel again. I'm going back in July of 2021, July 6th through the 16th. If you're interested, message me. It's going to be, it's, there's no trip like a trip to the Holy Land. Uh, it's unbelievable. According to Acts 27, Paul would be loaded up from Caesarea and put on a boat to Rome. And once he arrived in Rome, he would live for two years under house arrest in a rented house. They let him rent a house because he was a Roman, and they, they awaited trial. Now, I want you to see who is with him on the boat to Rome. I think you can guess by now who is on the boat with him, Aristarchus. Watch this, Acts 27, verse 2. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Folks, it is safe to say and it is not an exaggeration to say that Aristarchus risked his life accompanying the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, in Jerusalem, in Caesarea, on the boat to Rome, and while in Rome. Why did he do this? Because he was faithful. 
He was faithful. You know that we don't even know a single thing that Aristarchus ever did? Not one thing. The Bible never says a word about what he did or what he said other than he was with Paul. What we do know is that he gave up his, his freedom to be with him. He was called a fellow prisoner. And I'll tell you something else, church. The Lord's work would never be done if it weren't for people like Aristarchus. We don't know anything that he did, but he was just faithful. Just, he was just a companion. He was just kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. A, a person who selflessly gave himself so that the work of the kingdom could be accomplished. Seventy-two years ago, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors and pastors, I want to I show you what he said about workers in the kingdom and the church. I want you to see this quote. This is a quote from a book called The Christian Leader, again, circa 1948. Here's the quote. In the work of the church, the amount one man must do to accomplish a given task is determined by how much or how little the rest of the company is willing to do. It is a rare church whose members all put their shoulder to the wheel. The typical church is composed of the few whose shoulders are bruised by their faithful labors and the many who are unwilling to raise a blister in the service of God and their fellow man. There may be a bit, says Tozer, of wry humor in all of this, but I'm quite certain, says Tozer, that there will be no laughter when each of us gives an account to God of the deeds done in the body. End of quote. Tozer's right. You know, I'm thankful. Can I talk to you about the money just for a second? Because many of you are asking, how are we doing on the money? We took in over the last couple of Sundays about 62% of what we normally take in. You know what? That's not too bad. And we can survive on that. I, I, honestly, I wish it was 90% or 100%, but, but I get it. But, but, but we can get afraid here, folks. We can get afraid here, and we can stop giving. There's still work trying to minister to people. We're still ministering as a church. Yes, we, there's a lot of things that you've seen we've had to cancel, and we've canceled mission trips and soccer, and so that reduces some of the expenditures. But there's a fixed burden here that we continue to reach people in our community. So I hope you'll give, and I hope you'll be some of those that'll put your hand and, and your, your shoulder to the plow and, and that you'll work. Some of you that, are, that have never given, click that Give button and give. And watch what the Lord does in your life. Thank God for men and women who stick it out when it's hard. Aristarchus was one of those. It can be said this way. When the Apostle Paul said, who will volunteer, Aristarchus had his hand up waving. Like that kid in class. Pick me, pick me, pick me. How about us? So often, when the church asks for somebody to do something, the majority of people go, yeah, somebody, else, they'll do it. The spiritual ones will do it. Most Christians don't lift a finger. Don't let that be you. Put your shoulder to the plow. Well, that's the F for fruitful. How about the R? The next man is the one who is restored. Restored. Colossians 4.10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And then we get another guy. Mark, 
See him? And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark here is also known as John Mark. And I'm going to call him the man with the second chance, and I'll explain why. We know Mark as the man who wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Got it? The second Gospel. The question is, who is he? Well, when he first appears in Scripture, Mark is a young man, and the Apostle Paul sees promise in him, and he meets this young man in Jerusalem. You might not know this, but according to Acts chapter 12, the first church met in John Mark's mama's house. Did you know that? You can find that in Acts 12. This lady, John Mark's mama, is not listed in Scripture, but she opened up her home for the church to meet. Why? Why'd she open up her home? Because the Christians had no place else to meet. They, remember, Christians were being arrested and hauled off to Rome and fed to the lions. So they met in secrecy. They didn't have buildings until the end of the second century. Paul says to Mark, I see promise in you. Why don't you come with me and Barnabas on our very first missionary trip? The Apostle Paul was always training young men. He was always apprenticing young men. That's an example to me. He said, we're going to go start churches. Mark, you want to go with us? Mark said, yeah, I'll go. And we, and we read something there in verse 10. Who is Mark? Well, he's a cousin to Barnabas. So off they go. And I want you to see this map. Take a look at this map. And I want you to follow the red line. They go from Antioch of Syria. They make their way to the island of Cyprus. That's actually where Barnabas is from. And then they sail north along the Mediterranean, and they get to a town called Perga. Can you see it there? P-E-R-G-A, Perga. That's on the continent of Asia, what we call Asia Minor. And when they arrive there, I want you to see what they saw. I want you to see what Paul's missionary team saw, including John Mark. Those are the Taurus Mountains. Think of the Ford Taurus. I had one of those for about 19 years. Those are the Taurus Mountains. They're over 12,000 feet tall. They're huge. Almost as tall as our Rocky Mountains in Colorado. You know what happened, church? When John Mark saw those mountains, he said, see ya! You say, why? In those mountains... There were men who were bandits, who were robbers, who were thieves. And there were mountain passes that you had to go through, and it's banked up on one side and on the other. And you, would, you could literally be accosted at knife point. John Mark left. Where do you think he went? To Mama. He wasn't ready, church. John Mark was young. I think he got afraid. I think he got homesick. And I think he got, well, <laughs> he saw those mountains and he said, I'm out. He left. The rest of the team continued on. And then it came time for the second missionary journey. 
Barnabas comes to Paul and he says, hey, Paul, let's take Mark. What do you think Paul's response was? I, we don't know exactly the words Paul used, but in essence, we can say it this way. Paul said, are you serious? This kid left us on the first journey. You want to take him again? No way, Jose. Paul and Barnabas split. How about that? They did. Paul said, I'm not going with him. Of course, Barnabas and Mark were cousins. Barnabas stuck with Mark, and so Barnabas didn't go with him. So who did Paul take? Silas. That's how we get Paul and Silas. So it's over for Mark, right? No, he's the R. He's the one who is restored. He is the man with the second chance. So you say, what happened? Well, this is where the Apostle Peter steps in. Remember, Peter is running things from where? Jerusalem. Peter is calling the shots. Eventually, he'll turn over the leadership reins in Jerusalem to the half-brother of Jesus, James. But for now, Peter is in Jerusalem. And where are they meeting? Huh? John Mark's mama's house. And so guess who Peter sees? John Mark. Listen, Peter knows all about failure. Peter knows that he failed Christ, denied him three times. And he sees John Mark. John Mark probably walking around with his tail between his legs, moping around. Peter says, come here, come here, Mark. You know what happened? Peter took Mark under his wing and he discipled him. He trained him. And we have in our Bibles the gospel of Mark. No, listen, I know Mark wrote it down, but see, Mark was not with Jesus. The words of the gospel of Mark are from Peter. So while we say it's the gospel of Mark, we would be safe to say that it's the gospel of Peter that Mark wrote down. Can, can I ask you a question? Don't we all need second chances? I mean, have you blown it any this week? I have. Have you been getting a little bit testy? Huh? A little testy? Being around the same people all the time? Getting on your last nerve? It's easy to get that way. We've not been through something like this before. Hey, don't take it out on your family. Pray. When you start feeling that rise up in you like, man, I'm just, wah! Ask the Lord to help you. And remember, we all need a second chance. Jesus offers a second chance today. Maybe someone who's watching today, you think you've blown it and there's no hope for you. Oh, there is hope for you. John Mark is the example of that. You say, what happened to Mark? Well, Paul said, we just read it in verse 10, he said, receive him and welcome him. So they were obviously restored. In fact, in the last letter that Paul ever wrote, which is 2 Timothy, Paul said this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, last part of that verse says, get Mark, Paul's in prison, this is for the second time, remember Paul faced two Roman imprisonments, the second one is where ultimately they would execute him by lopping his head off, and Paul said, get Mark and bring him with you, because he, get it now, he is helpful to me in my ministry. He had been restored, church. How about that? 
Paul knows he's at the end of his life, and who does he want to see? Mark. Bring Mark. Folks, that's forgiveness. That's mercy. That's a man who gets a second chance. And that's the R for restored. How about the U, fruitful? The next person in the group photo, the one who was useful. Useful. And we just got this little section here, Colossians 4.11, and Jesus, who is called justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, that means he was formerly a Jew, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. A man named Jesus called justice is his name. That's all we get. But think about it. How would you like to have the name Jesus? <laughs> you know, that was a common name in that day. Jesus, that's why Jesus was commonly called Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus' justice. Jesus in that day, was a, that name was about as common as Joshua is today. Joshua is the English derivative of Jesus, if you didn't know that. Justice means righteous and useful, so he was called Jesus' justice. What did he do? We have no idea, other than he made the group photo. Nothing special, nothing extraordinary, but he made the list. He's in the group photo. And you know what, folks? Jesus' justice is most of us. Nothing special other than we can be a comfort to people. Did you catch that at the end of verse 11? It says, he's been a comfort to me. That's what Jesus' justice did for Paul. And we've got to be a comfort for people right now. It's so easy to turn in on ourselves and during this season of time, but when you begin to do that, um, that's when it's easy to get testy. Think about others. Do you bring peace and comfort to other people's lives? We can do that right now. That's Jesus' justice. How about the next one? Ah, invested, fruitful. The next person is the one who was invested, the I. This is Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We get the man Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now we've talked about this man a lot throughout this series because it is the very reason we have this letter to the Colossians is because of Epaphras. Remember, he's the guy that traveled from the area of Colossae, that 1,300 plus mile journey to Rome because he's so concerned about the false teachers. He's so concerned that false teaching is moving into the church that Epaphras was scared to death that the people would stop following the truth. Now remember our picture? He said, Paul, they're not listening to me. Maybe if you'll write a letter and we can carry it back, and Tychicus did, Maybe they'll listen. You know, I know how Epaphras felt. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the truth. I want you, I want myself to follow the truth. Do you know why so many people struggle today who name the name of Christ? Because they don't know the truth. They don't know the Word of God. They're absolutely illiterate because they never read the Bible. Did you hear Justin? 
during the announcement video that we have on our app. Listen, go to the, go to the app store and get this app. Get our app, the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church app, and you start reading the Bible. It will read it to you. Turn the thing on. Your kids who are driving you crazy can stand to hear the Word of God. Let me tell you something. When the Word of God's being read, when the, they, they, said, they told over and over throughout the teaching epistles in the New Testament to read the Scripture out loud, read it publicly. Read it out loud in your home. Let the app do it for you. Man, I'll tell you, it brings peace in the home because the Word of God is supernatural. It's sharp as a double-edged sword. The reason so many Christians struggle in making decisions is because we don't know the truth. And, and the Bible says that Epaphras was always struggling on your behalf in prayer. You know what that word struggle means? It means to be in agony. The Greek word is agonizomai. It's an athletic term. And here's what it looks like. You see this guy? What's he doing? He's running across the finish line, right? He's giving everything he's got, and he's straining. He's agonizomai. That's how Epaphras was. You say, well, what was he praying about? We'll watch it again. Look at the last half of verse 12. You see it in your Bibles? See it on the screen? He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may what? Get rich? Huh? Make sure you got toilet paper in the house. Huh? No. Stand mature. Being fully assured in the will of God. It's simple. Epaphras wanted the people to be mature. It appears Epaphras was probably an elder in the church. We're not told that. But in my mind, he was an elder. And he wanted the people to be mature. You know what the Greek word is for mature? Used there? You say, I have no idea. I looked it up. Teleos. Do you know this word that Jesus said from the cross? Tetelestai. Tetelestai. What did it mean in English? What's the last thing Jesus said on the cross? Huh? Three words. It is, say it, finished. Epaphras wanted the people to finish. He wanted their faith to be mature so that they would persevere and to telestai, finish. Run the race well and finish. He wanted them to be complete in their faith. Any of you doubting right now? Hmm? Satan causing fear, causing doubt. An old preacher said a long time ago, I don't remember who said it, but he said, feed your faith, starve your doubt. Satan started this whole mess with doubt. He said to Eve, did God say? Hmm? If your mind is being ravaged by doubt right now, you have got to get to a place where you get back in the Word of God and you feed your faith and starve the doubt. Epaphras wanted them to finish. How do we feed our faith? 
right here. I want to show you a picture of this, this family. I, I just love this picture. What are they doing? They're reading the Bible. I mean, do that. I mean, again, you can do this via the app. There's all kinds of apps out there. But I, I bet you you've got a physical Bible in your house. Can this be a photograph that could be taken of your home at any time during the week? Is there even one time that ever happens in your home where somebody takes out the Bible? I'm talking about just one time in the past week. We get so concerned about everything else. Oh, that we'll be fruitful. I know how Epaphras felt. I feel it. Well, Epaphras was one who was invested. How about the T? We're going to see the talented guy. The next person is the one who is talented. You say, who in the world is that? Well, read it. Colossians 4.14. You ready? Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Say, okay, so Luke's the talented guy. What was his talent? You know. Who was Luke? Oh, yeah, the doctor. Man, am I praying for our doctors and nurses right now. They're on the front lines, risking their lives. Pray for them. Pray for our health care workers. Pray for those who are uh, running the ambulances. Pray for those who are in New York City right now, risking their lives in New Jersey in New Orleans, in Chicago, these hot spots, Miami. Pray for them in our own local hospital. They don't know what they're up against, but they go and they're literally risking their lives. Dr. Luke, he literally left his practice for a season of time and became Paul's personal physician. Listen, if anybody needed a doctor, it was Paul. He was constantly getting beaten. They tried to kill him in one town where they stoned him. Paul calls him my beloved physician. Luke used his talent for the kingdom, and God wants you to use your talent for the kingdom. Use it. I know right now it seems like, you know, we've almost got like a, I've got this bookmark in my Bible. It's just like, <laughs> right, the coronavirus has created a bookmark. One day this will pass. It doesn't mean that we can't continue on. Use your talent for the kingdom. You know, Dr. Luke, what an amazing guy he was. Luke didn't quit. He kept on going. And even when it got rough. By the way, did you know that Luke, he wrote not only the gospel of Luke, he wrote it to a Gentile audience because he was a Gentile doctor. But he also wrote the book of Acts. Of course, the Holy Spirit wrote it, but by way of the hand of Luke. And that's a bunch in the New Testament. In fact, I wasn't aware of this until I read it in one of the commentaries I read this week. Luke wrote 52 chapters of the New Testament. Basically, 20%, one-fifth of the New Testament was written by Luke. And he was just a doctor. You know what I'm saying? It's not that he had a seminary degree. You, you know what? He, he didn't have a Bible degree. And yet God used him as a doctor. Let him use you. You know what happened at the end of Paul's life? You know, Paul would eventually be released. They couldn't, they, they really, the charges, they, they came to nothing during this first house arrest. But eventually, after a few years, Paul would be rearrested. 
Nero would have him arrested. He would be brought back to Rome and he would be thrown in the Mamertine prison. There was one person who stuck with him. Because when you went into that prison, that meant death. That's like a roach motel. You know what a roach motel is? Where you go in but you don't come out? Mm-hmm. You know who was with him? 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 11. Watch this. Luke alone is with me. Luke alone. Folks, that's commitment. Luke could have been executed for being associated with the Apostle Paul. And yet he used his talent. And he stayed with Paul to the end. To the very end. That's amazing. Truly it's amazing. Now I want to show you quickly someone who is amazing, but in a not good way. This is the man who is the F for failure. You see the F there? The man in the group photo who was a failure. His name? Demas. Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. You say, well, what's the problem? I don't see a problem there. Well, we don't see it here in Colossians. But again, if you go to that last letter that Paul ever wrote, which is 2 Timothy, we see it in verse 10 that Demas didn't finish. He left and he never came back. Watch this now. 2 Timothy 4.10, watch this. For Demas, watch it, in love with this present world has deserted me. That word means abandoned. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Demas ended up choosing the world. You know what I think is going to happen? I think, I think Demas is one of those who will say to Jesus at the judgment, I, I did work for, for, for the Apostle Paul and his evangelistic missionary society. I know Paul. And Jesus Unless something happened in Demas' life before his death, if all we have is what we have here in 2 Timothy 4.11, and that's how it ended, Jesus will look at Demas and say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know who you are. Doesn't matter if you knew Paul. Doesn't matter if you went on missionary journeys. Doesn't matter if you're a member of a church. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. You gotta know Jesus, and you gotta hit the tape. You gotta hit the finish line. You persevere. That doesn't mean that you don't have times in your life where you sin and you make mistakes, but you get up and you get back in the race, and somebody needs to get back in the race today. Somebody, you have gotten off the track and you're sitting on the sidelines. Tighten up those shoes and get back in the race. Yeah, and you know who you are. Get back in the race. Some of you slacked off and you're jogging and you've got in you, you've got it in you to run, run for the kingdom. Man, time is urgent. Demas quit. And so he's a failure. Paul had his Demas. Jesus had his Judas. I guess we all do. You got anybody in your group photo that's walked away? Pray for them. 
And don't focus on the negative person. So easy to focus on the negative. Focus on the positive and those people in your life that's in your group photo who mean so much to you. The next person is the unsung one. This gets quick now because there's just not much here. Next is the unsung one, a lady named Nympha. The Bible says in Colossians 4.15, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha is an unsung hero. Uh, again, she's like uh, John Mark's mom. She opened up her home for a church. Remember, they had to open up each other's homes. Hey, would you do that today? I mean, I know we can't today because, you know, this distancing thing. But, I mean, like if something happened to this church or to the church maybe that you attend, you're watching, you don't normally come to Mount Pleasant. You're cordially invited. Uh, eventually we'll be back open. But here's the thing. Would you open up your house if part of the church had to meet somewhere else? If, let's say this place burned down. You know a lot of people won't do that. You know a lot of people won't ever open their house up and show any hospitality at all. Not even to the believers, much less a lost person. We've got these nice homes we're paying these big mortgages for. Use them for the kingdom. Invite people over. I mean, I know you can't now. I get it. But eventually, man, we ought to be using our homes as gospel-sending sinners. Nympha did that. She's an unsung hero. Last person, the loyal one. Last one in the photo, the one who is loyal. The loyal one. Who is that? A man named Archippus. See it? Colossians 4, 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus was loyal. He obviously had a ministry in Colossae. He is listed, by the way, in the letter to Philemon as the son of Philemon. Yes, he is loyal, but I think that he might have been weary. You say, how do you get that? Because Paul said, see that you fulfill the ministry. Perhaps he needed encouragement. Perhaps he needed just to have a pat on the back. You see, I believe Archippus may have been struggling. And the Holy Spirit told the Apostle Paul, encourage Archippus. We were singing that song earlier. Seth was leading it and Steve and Jeff and Pastor Brad. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. How often? What did the song say? Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God. I need you. I think we're all a little bit like Archippus today. We've never really been through anything like this. And I feel the Lord from heaven saying, Kevin, look in your group photo and continue your ministry. Who are you with right now? Most likely family, right? Go ahead, look around the room. Go ahead, look around the room. Where are you at? In the den? Hmm? In the kitchen? In the bedroom? I have no clue. 
Can you do this for me if you've been moving around? Can I ask you all to get together? No social distancing. Okay? Come together. I need you to do something for me. And some of you won't want to do this. Come on! Hold hands. Go ahead. Hold hands. Hold hands. Now, quit looking at me and look at one another in the face. Look at your kids. Look at your spouse. Look at those who are with you in the room. Are you doing this? Some of you aren't doing this and it feels awkward. It's awkward because you're not being obedient. Hold hands. Go ahead and look at each other. Look at each other. And be thankful. Be grateful. Okay, you know you want to. All right, let go of the hands. Okay, okay. Sit back down, whatever. Be grateful and be fruitful. That's the call at the end of this letter. Know the truth and follow the truth and fulfill the ministry. I know we've got kids who are doing online school. I know we've got parents that's going crazy. I know we've got people that's driving trucks to get food to the grocery store. I've, we've got, the, again, the healthcare workers, the, all the people that are working so hard. This too shall pass, but until it does, fulfill the ministry. Do what God has called you to do. And be the type of person who someone would place you in their group photo. Someone would say yes, and they would name your name. Yes, I would feel confident, as Paul had in his group photo, John Mark and Luke, right? Archippus, would you be in that group photo? Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.